Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. This week's topic is the government of God. How does the government of God work? Well, the government of God, and when when did it begin? Well, of course, it began with God. I mean, it's God governing. That's what it is. The Kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God and be governed by God and follow in His ways, obey God rather than man. And anything other than that is not the kingdom of God. You know, I have some local pastors I know, and one of them, you know, I, I say you, you need to start preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching the good news that Jesus was here, but he's not preaching the gospel of the kingdom because that's what it was called. He's preaching that Christ died for our sins, but he's not preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the right to be ruled by God. I mean, Christ didn't just... What is our sin? I mean, what, how does our sin look? Well, the first part of our sin is that we decided to decide for ourselves what was right and wrong. When we call that the tree of knowledge. The tree of good and evil. We're going to decide what is right and what is wrong based on our intellectual perception of reality. Which is really stupid. But that's what we did. And the reality is that's what we're doing every day. And we need to eat of the tree of life, which today we refer to that as the Holy Spirit. We have to let the Holy Spirit of God write God's laws upon our hearts and our minds. In other words, we're not writing them. He's writing them in us. In order to do that, in order to do that, you must become compatible with God. You must be willing to accept God's whole character his whole being every aspect of God's character his name's not Chris it's Christ <laughs> if you leave off the T it's Chris and actually his name's not Christ I know but the point is is that the character of God's name is the character of God's personality, God's reality. And if we leave out one aspect of that character, we're not doing things in his name. No matter what's coming out of our mouth, no matter what word we pronounce, we're not doing things in his name. Well, one aspect of God's character is charity, and that is an essential element of God's kingdom. It is one of the most distinguishing elements of God's kingdom from the elements of the world. If you go to our website at hisholychurch.org and you look up elements of the world, look, go to hisholychurch.org slash outline. Go to the outline page and look up the word element. Push uh, CTRLF. little box will pop up there and then you just type in element find an article on elements of the world. 
or use the search engine up in the right-hand corner. Just click on that little guy peering out over the in the distance, and that little Google search engine, you can search the whole website, see everywhere where we talk about elements. Because the elements of the world will melt. And they're not talking about atomic structure. They're talking about the elements of the world that have brought you back into bondage. Well, how do you get out of that bondage? People are always asking me that. I write covenants of the gods, and I see how we have got into bondage with these contracts, covenants, and constitutions, which is another book. But they say, well, how do we get out? We rescind all our contracts? Well, you can certainly try that, but chances are the Pharaoh is going to disregard it. It's great to apply a little evidence of your intent, but, you know, he don't have to let you go. He's got you because you're in debt up to the ears. People could say, well, it wasn't a valid common law contract. Well, then you're a thief because you applied. Your folks applied for it. I mean, people always say, well, wait a minute. My parents did this. I didn't do it. Well, so what? If your parents did it. I mean, everybody who was in bondage in Egypt were in bondage in Egypt because their parents had sold them into Egypt when they sold themselves into Egypt. So how do you get out? How do you escape from that bondage? From the elements of that world that brought you into that bondage? And we could talk to great extent as to exactly how that bondage came about. But we're going to talk about the elements that set you free, which are the elements of the kingdom of God, which go back to that title of charity. What is charity? How does it work? How does God's charity differ from man's charity? Was the kingdom of God an actual government? We should be striving to obtain, to be a part of? Yeah, absolutely. They couldn't obtain any of the benefits of the governments of the world because those benefits were part of those elements of the world that brought you in bondage. You had to apply for social welfare in Rome and in Judea. And in that application, you become subject to the authorities that regulate those social welfare system and what should have been for your welfare had become a snare which is why Paul is telling you that Peter knew it through your covetousness of those welfare programs which are financed not by the king but by your neighbor forced to contribute by the king his sacrifices must go to the king to the government of the king so that you can have your benefits. That's coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of government. So the elements of God's kingdom still have to provide the same purposeful benefits. Last night, I had to go out and put sheep away, and I was doing irrigating, and it was dark, and when I was coming back, the only time I get to listen to the radio, I was uh, listening to a guy on a city club on... Uh, uh, I think it's OPB, Oregon Public Broadcasting. And he was talking about Social Security, that it was a wonderful system, works very efficiently, takes care of old age and 
and disabled people and all this stuff. It has about a one percent uh, cost ratio. Uh, very efficient. It's uh, people were always been worried about it being solvent, and it's actually not that far from being solvent now. It uh, actually has enough money coming in to pay the benefits, but yeah, there will be a strain in the future. But it's a wonderful program, and in some ways, this it is a wonderful program. It takes care of widows and orphans by the millions. It takes care of disabled by the millions. It's a wonderful program. It's just making the word of God to none effect. A slight drawback to some who value their welfare more than God and his ways. It's destroying society because it destroys community. It destroys families. You don't need family anymore. I got social welfare. So we have gone so far away from the kingdom, it's going to take some time getting back. So we have to learn how the government of God works, and it works through charity. Now, there was a discussion on structure. Well, there is a physical structure, and I've said earlier on uh, the previous program that that structure, as we see it with our eyeballs, is tens, hundreds, and thousands. It could be tens, fifties, you know, five uh, hundreds and thousands or whatever. I mean, you could break it up a number of different ways, but tens, hundreds, and thousands was, is the most common structure of the kingdom throughout history. And it's very practical to, because those ten families become a unit, we call it a congregation. And they are not an unincorporated association. They would become an unincorporated association if their free will offerings to their minister had strings attached. But because they are burnt offerings freely given to their minister for the redistribution amongst other people or his own needs as he serves the people or whatever, those offerings are completely given so therefore they are not an unincorporated association and that structure means something today in the legal sea in which we live but that structure has no charity in it charity doesn't come from structure structure is what we hang charity on so where does charity come and when is that charity God's charity when the United States gives foreign welfare all over the world, they refer to that as the charitable nature of God's uh, of world government of the United States. We are so charitable; we help countries all over the world. But it's not charity if you're giving somebody else's stuff. It's only charity if you give it. And there's a lot more to charity than meets the eye. We'll talk about that. Now, in Ezekiel 37, 4, it says again, He said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, referring to the dry bones, saying unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And it goes on to talk about 
can flesh come onto these bones? Can God breathe life into these bones? The bones are the structure. You need the bones. You need the structure. God has always been a God of structure. Everything, everything down to the atoms and the molecules all are based on uniform structures. Fractal structures where they repeat it pattern over and over again, but yet the patterns are quite the same, like snowflakes. There's a pattern to every single snowflake that is repeated in every single snowflake, yet supposedly there are no two snowflakes that are exactly the same. I saw two once. I thought they were pretty close, but that's a joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the reality is, is that uh, structure is important. It's important to God. It's important to us. But it's just dry bones. It's not flesh, and it's certainly not the breath of God. You're the flesh of those dry bones. You're the flesh of that structure. You need to come together. Because that's the way God has always done it. That's the way we see the Old Testament saying that we see Christ say, wherever two or more gather together in my name, according to my character, there also I am. Are you gathering together? Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God being a system that is alternative to the totalitarian system of the world that forces the contributions of the people, that the purpose of the church is to provide the benefits of God's government, to set the table of the Lord and provide for your needs when you need them, a lot of people will come because they say, they're going to provide for my needs. Great. I'm going to be in touch with those guys. Because they're going to provide for my needs. Beep. Wrong. No. No. You, you're missing. We're, you don't come to the kingdom because the kingdom will provide for your needs. Did Christ come to the earth because to establish his church was going to provide for his needs? No. You're coming for a spirit that isn't in Christ. Christ came to give himself, to give his life. That's why you gather. You don't come because you may get benefits. And we should not imagine that because we help people out, more people will come. Because the wrong people will come. And that doesn't mean we don't help people out. We do help people out. But we don't imagine that because we help people out, more will come. Because they want to be helped too. The poor you will have with you always. And if all you do is appeal to the poor by giving them everything they want, you'll get the wrong people. Now, if somebody's heard this message of coming together and they haven't come together, what is keeping them back? If the only time we hear from them is when they have a need, when did we hear from them when we had needs? Or when, did they even come to check? Does do you need anything? How are you? How's it going? Do you, do you need any help? You know, are you, are you getting the word out? Do you need help getting the word out about the kingdom, the opportunity 
of giving to others. The Eucharist of Christ is the being thankful for the opportunity of giving to others. But is the giving always charity? Is charity always giving? Now, these are questions that we're going to answer over the next couple hours. Being that peculiar people is not about paperwork. Being that peculiar people is not fitting into the structure. Being that peculiar people, the only reason we're peculiar, and there actually is two uses of the word that we see peculiar, and it's actually two different Greek words, if I remember correctly. I can't remember which ones they are. But, But basically, the nation of God, the kingdom of God, is different than the world because they operate on this faith, open charity. They have faith in the fact that God is in control. They set their neighbor free. They don't compel their neighbor to offer to them. And that's an important concept. And and it carries over and over and over again, like all fractal imagery, it repeats itself in many different ways. And I talked earlier about, you know, where the three blind men are feeling this creature in front of them and they're describing them and each one is describing different aspects of an elephant because they're in a different location on the elephant. We have to make allowances for the fact that everybody has their own eyes. The hand does not see the world the same as the eyes see the world. The ears do not see the world in the same way the eyes see the world. And so when they tell you what they are thinking or what they're seeing, they will say it in a different way. And you should not be compelling them to use your terminology. You should be struggling and striving to try to understand where he's coming from. And why do you want to understand where he's coming from? Because you want to catch him on where he's wrong? Well, yeah, yeah but not with that tone in your heart. You want to know where he's coming from for two reasons. One is he may have some enlightenment to help you understand, and in struggling to understand him, you may understand more about yourself. But also, he could be wrong, and you could help him see where he is wrong. And if you believe that he wants to know what is right, he will listen to you and try to figure out where you're wrong. And you may detect he's being judgmental of me. Well, that dirty son of a gun. Or you may say, oh, he's being judgmental of me. That poor child of God is missing that if you're judgmental, you're usurping God, and you don't don't want to be judgmental. So how do you impart that information? Do you just tell him? I tell you, if you don't be judgmental back, he's more likely to see his own judgment of you. Because if you're not judging back, you can bring the light of Christ into his room. Interesting thing happened this last week. I won't name any names. But I know a young man who does not clean up his room very well. He's kind of gotten into the bachelor mode and, and uh, his family doesn't give him a hard time about it because he's a hard worker 
and they figure he's big enough now. He's got to figure out his own ways. And a friend of him that he, a friend of his that he really likes and works with, came over and wanted to see him. And they called up, and he ran up to his room, and he came into his room, and uh, and uh, and said what he had to say. I don't know some message, and then he left. Uh, the rest of the day, that young man was cleaning up his room. He never saw how messy it looked until he saw his friend see his room. Now, his friend never said a word. Probably his house is just as messy. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised. But the fact that someone else saw, he saw his room through his eyes, and his room was cleaned up for the rest of the day. He, that's all he was doing. <laughs> That is really kingdom stuff in a kind of a metaphoric sort of way. You bring the light of Christ with you and people will see things about themselves, their own temple, that they would not have seen. But in order for them to trust you enough to let you in their rooms of their temple... You need to interact with them. We have people who've gotten mad because I said something. Uh, not even specifically to them, but just said something that they did not want to hear, I guess. Or somebody said something they didn't want to hear. And they abandoned everybody on the network. They left everybody because they were mad at one person. Whether it was me or somebody else, it doesn't really matter. They got mad at one person on the network, they abandoned them all. That's like the lady who gets mad at her kid because they're driving her crazy and so she drowns all her children. It's insane. But people do it every day. You know, they don't drown all their children every day, but they abandon everybody. I have people who uh, for years would not talk to me because they were mad at my brother. Well, I wasn't real fond of my brother at that time myself. <laughs> we had something in common. Why are you talking to me? I have people that wouldn't talk to me because I talked to somebody they were mad at. Amazing how narrow-minded we get as a people. But in God's kingdom, we don't judge anybody. We don't have to. It ain't our job. God is judge. Also, and now this can be taken a number of different ways, so you have to listen now to what I'm saying. And try to understand what I'm imparting, because you can say this two different ways. This is the problem with language. You should not trust anybody. But then again, you should trust. But in one sense, you should not trust anybody, because... You don't need to trust anybody because you trust the Lord. When you start trusting in the judgment of others to make help you make your decisions, you set yourself up. That is the first step towards tyranny. Is you're going to trust somebody like Saul. I'll trust Saul. He's a great guy. I trust him to be a good leader. And I will let him lead the country. Well, we start that in little ways. I trust this person's judgment, and I will let them lead me in this little thing. 
It's only a little thing. No, we should not. That doesn't mean we shouldn't listen to them. We shouldn't reach out to them. We shouldn't hear them. But we should be trusting in the Lord. Ultimately, we have to have the Holy Spirit to guide us in what is right and what is wrong. And not the tree of our own knowledge. And certainly not the tree of the knowledge of our neighbor. Or even our brother. need to trust in the Lord. Only. We'll be back. Peace of the kingdom. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com The program you are listening to is 100% sponsored by you, the listener, on this First Amendment Rights Media channel. You will notice that there are few commercials on this radio network. There's a good reason for that. Corporate advertising dollars come with strings that limit program content. So without your help, these programs cannot continue on Internet or our several affiliates. If you benefit by the educational law programs, we ask you to give. If you are admonished or nurtured by the Bible and ministry programs, we ask you to give. If some voice a cause that you are passionate about, we ask you to give. If you believe in any of these, we ask you to support them as you would a missionary on a continual basis, as if giving a tithe for Missionary Radio. These programs are not commercially viable and must be supported by those faithful to the cause of truth. Look for the button to sponsor your favorite programs at our Listen and Schedule pages on the Internet. Then, when you subscribe, we will send you the last quarterly MP3 CD of that program immediately and continue to do so with each new quarter. We will also give you unlimited archive access to all of our programs. We're asking you to give much less than a tithe so that you may also send support directly to a particular program host, cause, and anywhere else the Spirit may lead you. Do all to the glory of our God and Creator, for His holy nation, the only kingdom that will last forever. Thank you for listening. If you read the history books, the most often asked questions of Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free? Or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. 
Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. So we're talking about the government of God and how it works. And we talked a little bit about the structure of the tens, hundreds, and thousands uh, but the government of God, that structure is just the bones, and dry bones are not the kingdom. The flesh requires the people, and those people have to have a relationship with the Creator. Now, what does that mean, a relationship with the Creator? It's not an emotional euphoria that comes about because we think a lot about God as if we were some, you know, uh, meditating. Uh, uh, guru on a hilltop uh, contemplating his navel. Uh, that relationship is a real relationship with a real God that has a real character that is consistent throughout the history of mankind and is the creative force behind all existence in the universe. It is called a God, the Creator, Yahweh, Jehovah. Lots of different names that we tack on so that we can converse about him. But he doesn't need a name because he doesn't need an ID card. He doesn't need to show one at the airport or anywhere else. His name is who he is. He is the existing one. And we apply names to him so that we, in our finite sort of way, can refer to him. But that creator, that relationship, has telltale signs and its characteristics of that relationship that we may have with him. And it is the... He has an adversary, which is a foolish adversary, which is someone who wants... Which is everyone who wants to decide for themselves what is right and wrong outside of the character of God. In other words, they want to cut off some of the character of God and be God themselves. And one of the most common characteristics they want to cut off is this concept of charity. Allowing people to make a choice is charity. Allowing people to have a different point of view. Having a different point of view is not allowing them to kill or murder or steal. It's allowing them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. It is not condoning their error, but it's allowing them to make that error without coercive force to stop them, unless of course they're damaging somebody else, which is they're using coercive force to damage somebody else, and they don't have a right to do that. And that's a that's a fine thing to you know it's a struggle to figure out where that is. But that relationship with the Creator has to be real, and there is a counterfeit created all the time by everybody from Cain to Nimrod to Caesar to Pharaoh to religious leaders. Create a counterfeit of emotion and uh, theology and eschatology that will. Look like, feel like, smell like, taste like. You have a relationship with God. But it is false. And we know this is 
Christ talked about this. They thought they were Christians. They thought that they were doing the will of God. And he said, Get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. They did not really have a relationship with God. They had a relationship with a God they created in their own mind. And they nailed that God up in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they bowed down and worshipped it. But they did not know God. So we have to be aware of the counterfeit relationship. Because it can seem very real. And it can seem very powerful. So we have to strive. We have to struggle. We have to seek to know is and question. Is that relationship real? Is Are we really going the ways of God? And we have clues. We have the Bible and we have prophets and we have our brothers who rebuke us and say, Hey, no, you're not doing right. I don't see you as doing right. Is that judgmental? No, that's iron sharpening iron. I mean, it could be judgmental if it's not done in love. If it's done because you want to put them down. But people often always worry that somebody is putting me down. A little of that putting down others in their heart still. Let go. You, you cannot be so easily offended. If you're easily offended, beware. That is a sign that you don't have all the elements of God's character. Christ was not easily offended. You couldn't offend him. If you nailed him to the cross, he'd still forgive you in the very moment you were pounding the nail. So if I were to say something that you took offense at, what the heck is that? I didn't nail you to the cross. I just said something that you construed as offensive. It may have been offensive. It may not have been offensive. Even if I was judgmental, why are you angry about what I say? And this goes for anybody else who says things to you. You cannot be touchy in Christ. Christ was not touchy. He knew he would be rejected. He told you. You would be rejected. So what are you so surprised about? We talk about allowing God to live through us, not us trying to serve him. Well, that's incorrect. But in a certain point of view, that could be correct. Because sometimes we think it's by our efforts of service that we gain salvation, and it is not. Salvation is always going to be a gift. We're never going to obtain anything by works, charity or otherwise. But, yes, we should serve Him. If I mean, we need to be doers of the will of the Father. Christ said this doers of my Father's will. That's service. We need to be men of service. Not to each other, but to God. But in reality, when we serve God, it will appear as serving one another. But when we do it, we need to do it because of our love of the Father. You know, they talk about... uh, uh, the son, uh, the prodigal son coming back and the other son being a little bit jealous. It didn't say that he didn't go along with the feast, but he says, why are you giving a feast? He's been gone. He hasn't been helping. I've been here all the time. 
you know, what what is that all about? I mean, he was serving the Father all the time. This one hasn't been, but now he's celebrating. But he's come back to do what? To serve the Father. Yeah, we should serve the Father. And in our striving to serve the Father, we become we come face to face with the fact that there's often something missing in our relationship. It needs to grow more. It is constantly growing because we're finite, but God is infinite. That relationship should constantly be growing. And so he gives us this world and he gives us a choice in the world to seek the kingdom of God or the kingdoms of the world. To seek our own way and decide for ourselves what is good and evil or to seek his way and walk with him Eat of His Holy Spirit. Let His Holy Spirit write His laws upon our hearts and our mind. And if we don't let it do that, then we are cast adrift. Because Christ made it clear. God made it clear with Samuel. You can choose to have a king over you. He's going to come and take and take and take and take and take. You can choose that. But in that day that you cry out, I will not hear you. What a meaning. No, that's love. In that day, I will not hear you. And that is love. He not only told you he wasn't going to hear you, he didn't hear you. In other words, he, he did hear you. He did know you were crying out. But he did not respond in that hearing. He let you cry out a bit. I told you. I told you. And you had to spend a season praying for relief. You didn't just get what you wanted when you wanted it. And that's charity. As I said earlier in the earlier program, the word charity, we see in the Bible, uh, appears 27 times in the King James Bible in the epistles. Uh, it, uh, it's some 116 times as a noun and 142 times as a verb. But it isn't always translated charity. Most of the time, it's translated love. And when Jesus says it, the same word is translated love. And when God did not hear them in their cries, in other words, didn't respond immediately to their desires and their needs, that was love. I mean, uh, the study of children crying, babies crying. You know, they did studies, uh, and I can't remember all the statistics on it. It was very interesting. They had to go to different countries in order to do this because in different countries they have a different custom. In some places they would, uh, uh, the baby would be nursed, and the baby would be wrapped up and put in its crib, and it was expected to go to sleep. And it learned to go to sleep. And uh, the other mothers who coddled it whenever it fussed a little bit, soon picked it up right away as soon as it fussed. The baby fussed more and more. And it learned to fuss in order to be comforted. But right away in this other country that they took the baby that, no, you're not going to be comforted just because you fussed a little bit that they set them down and they let them fuss a little bit until they went to sleep and they learned that that fussing didn't bring anything of value. So 
they stopped fussing. Their needs were all met, but not their wants. They had to fuss. They had to struggle. You know, you have to lay boundaries to your charity or you will weaken the poor. You have to be careful of that. But you get to decide. Because God's given you that right to decide. I can't decide for you. I can't tell you, oh, don't give to him because, oh, this, 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 this. You know, somebody has trouble and needs help with money. And they they need uh, their mortgage paid or the rent paid or whatever. It's your choice as to whether you help them or not. And no one should judge you if you decide not to help them. You may be right in not helping them. You may be wrong in not helping them. And God is judge. But I don't have the right to impose upon you what you do. But you don't have a right to impose your standard of charity on me. We don't have that right. Each of us are ministers of God's will in our own heart. That is the nature of the kingdom, is that you must decide. And I must give you that right to decide. God's already given it to you, but I cannot interfere with it emotionally, intellectually, certainly not with a gun, as most the elements of the world do every day. They say, oh, you better contribute to free education for my child's public school education, or I'll send men to your house and take your house away from you. That's the wickedness of the world. But that wickedness can begin in very little things. So you, you call for assistance. Hey, somebody needs help here. Somebody says, well, what kind of help do they need? They have every right to ask that question. And you, you have every right to say, why are you asking that question? Why don't you just help? But you, you may be wrong in asking that question. He may be wrong in asking that question, but he has a right to be wrong. And you have an obligation. If you are to operate in the character of God, to let him ask that question. Why are you asking that question? Why are you judging him if he chooses not to help? Is it, it, It's not charity if you're going to compel him with your own emotion. Oh, you have to help. There are no hungry people and some are like. There is nobody going without food and some are like. There's nobody going without shelter in summer life. We had a passerby came in here, had a flat tire, didn't have a spare. My wife went and took one of the spare tires for her car and gave it to him. It wasn't the best tire, but it worked. And he gave her his empty shredded brim <laughs> and told her he was going to send her money to pay for it when he got to his new job. He was on his way to a new job with a buddy of his. He also had to bum gas off the local gas station guy. <laughs> and he left some tools there. He said, they leave these tools as collateral. And everybody's afraid to even plug them in. They look absolutely nice. 
We didn't sign a contract where he has to get back to us. If he gets stuck in this valley again, he may not receive as much benefit from the charity of this valley. There's nobody hungry in Paisley. There's nobody without shelter in Paisley. Uh, there's an interesting story where I had a, a lady who, she was quite the character, lived in a little shack, and I'm talking shack, shack, shack. I mean, I've got, I've, we've had dog houses better than a shack, I'm telling you. This was a shack. You wouldn't believe. And people got together, mostly one family, and bought a single wide trailer, spent days and weeks fixing it up, putting in new carpeting, painting the walls, bought some really nice, beautiful, very tame wallpaper, and put wallpaper on the wall, on one wall, and put her in there. And she began to trash the place until it looked like a shack. Her dogs were peeing on the floors everywhere, and she could care less. Didn't even let them out. She was a slob. It was a little old lady. A character, but a slob. There's no other way to say it. She was very sloppy, <laughs> very messy. And she complained and complained that she hated the wallpaper, that it hurt her eyes. And the, uh, the people hired my daughter to paint over the wallpaper. They'd worked so hard to put this beautiful wallpaper up, very tame, very, very domestic wallpaper, but it bothered her, so they painted over it. They just did everything for the lady. Now, she's since passed away. My daughter grew up, got married. When she got her wedding gift from these people who we've known for years, the lady wrapped the wedding gift in leftover wallpaper from that shop. <laughs> she had picked the wallpaper thinking it was so beautiful and everything, but the other lady didn't appreciate it and complained. And my daughter still has saved that <laughs> paper. And she thinks, if I ever give a gift to that lady, I have to refer to him as that lady, I don't want to use names, uh, that she will wrap the gift in that wallpaper. And I'll tell you, the wallpaper will mean more to the lady than the gift itself. <laughs> because they shared something together, and they understood something, and they waited upon this lady, and they gave to this lady. They gave to her, and she was very unappreciative of what they gave to her. But they gave to her anyway. And that's an important element of God, that compassionate giving. But you have to temper that with the wisdom of God. You cannot cut out the wisdom of God, the, the, which is part of the love of God. Because compassion is not all there is to love. If you, if you think that your children will be spoiled, rotten, and, and not worth anything. If you do that with your horse, he'll be spoiled. You, you have to put a bit in your horse's mouth. You have to discipline him to do what he needs to do so that he has value. And he will love you for it. I had a mare. One of the first horses I had when I got out here, I trained horses back in Boston even, or it was Boston, Massachusetts, it's outside of Boston. Um, so I've, I've trained horses for years and years and years. But the first horse I had out here was a horse that 
Nobody wanted <laughs> She was sick and cankerous Pinto mare Loreline Or actually Timberline was her name Loreline was her daughter I rode generation after generation out of that horse But uh, She would try to scrape you off on trees She would try to bite you She would all kinds of terrible habits She had developed But uh, I convinced her that wasn't a good idea and she was a pretty good horse once I got her out away from the barn about half a mile. <laughs> she was a pretty good horse. And, uh, but you had to discipline her. You had to, it was tough love. And her and her daughter, they, they didn't like to just go out for a ride. They just didn't stay back there at the growling, running around the pasture. But if you were herding sheep, if you were doing something, they just were just as good as gold. Because they will, they have that sense of need of value. So, what does this have to do with us? Well, we have a, a rule in the Bible. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't contribute, you should not be contributed to. If you don't share, you should not be shared with. That's love. Now, that's not a rule. You can, there are exceptions all the time. You know, the kingdom of God has structure, but that structure is very flexible. You have to start somewhere. You know, I mean, that's probably part of the excuses of the Pharisees when they go by the man beat up in the ditch. Well, he's not one of us, so we don't have to give to him. Well, no, they don't have to give to him. Charity is not something you have to do. That you have to do it if you want God to walk with you, but you don't have to do it because you don't have to have God walking with you. You can go out of the presence of God. But in the story that Jesus is telling, that man was beat up by others in ditch. He wasn't there in a drunken stupor. He wasn't in that predicament because of his own doing, but the, the doing of others. That's part of the story. Now, that doesn't mean that even if a man is drunk in the ditch, you shouldn't help him. You maybe need to help him. But who do you go to? Do you go to a rule book? Do you go to your pastor who tells you? Do you go to your friend who say this person needs help, and you do it because they say that he needs help? No, you must do it because God is speaking in your heart, and that's a hard place to be because you don't see God. This isn't based on your intellectual perception of what you think God is telling you. It has to be what God is telling you. Sometimes He doesn't tell you. But you have to be still. You have to shut off the judgment, the anger, the resentment, the, the demand, the uh, requirements, the, the fear, the uh, pride, all these things that toss your brain to and fro, your spirit to and fro, your emotions to and fro. And do only what God says. And people will judge you for it. You'll say, no, I, I don't want to do that. I choose not to. Oh, why not? Are you selfish? Are you, you know, you're not even charitable. No, I am charitable. But I don't have to argue that point. But you know you are charitable because you do. You've just chosen because God has put it on your heart not to give in this situation. 
you may ask questions because God has put it on your heart to ask questions. You may say nothing. You may look contemplatively in the air. You know, when you go to church, you know, they used to, uh, when I was a young man, they'd go to church and they would pass the basket. It almost hits you in the chest if you didn't put something in it. <laughs> With that, it was on a long stick. You know, they stick it out there. Uh, uh, you know, give it a little shove. <laughs> put something in the basket. You put little envelopes with paper clips in it that, that, that would, that's always a good way to do it <laughs> I never did that but uh, the point is is that we have to allow other people the right to choose and not judgmental by our own emotions to them in the next hour we'll get into some real details about charity and the elements of charity because that's an element of the kingdom You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. If you'd like to get a copy of this program, you may subscribe at libertyradiolive.com for only $45 a month. And you'll receive an MP3 CD weekly of all the First Amendment Rights Media Group programs. As a bonus, we'll send you a password for our audio archives online. That's a $15 value. Or you can request any month of any program on one MP3 CD for a minimum donation of only $20. Or any single program on tape, MP3 CD, or CD for only $15. You can do all this online at LibertyRadioLive.com. Just follow the instructions to make a donation or subscribe. Don't do Internet? Then call 559-781-3773, 559-781-3773, and we'll be honored to help you. Thank you from all of us here at the First Amendment Rights Media Group. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you. Because you love the truth, LibertyRadioLive.com. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about God's government. We're talking about charity because it's an important element of God's government. And if you have not charity... Uh, you will not be free. And that's all there is to it. That's just uh, written in to the code of existence. If you have not charity, you will not be free. You will be uh, bound in the world and of the world. And uh, 
there's nothing I could do about it. So have a good time. If you want to be free, you have to learn charity. And you have to learn what charity really is. Uh, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love perfected in us. But yet, thieves and robbers do, do something that looks like love amongst themselves. Do not thieves and robbers likewise? Uh, we need to have the love of God perfected in us. And that love of God is not compassion alone, but also includes the wisdom and the discipline and the tough love of God. And so, therefore, being compassionate alone may do more harm than good. Now, that's a choice each of us must learn to make. No one can make it for you. But everyone should be willing to talk about it. Is this a good idea to give? If it's still on your heart after you talk about it, then it's still on your heart. No one should be talking you out of it. You, again, you should not be trusting anybody but God. But you should be listening to everybody who you know, wishes to speak to you. I mean, you don't have to listen to them forever if they're constantly blabbering in your ear, you're going to have to say, hey, you know, i got to go get some work done. <laughs> but the point is you should be willing to listen to those who seek to be the brothers, your brother and sister in Christ. And hear them out. There's freedom of speech in the kingdom of God. And you should, and if they have a different opinion of you, why is there even anything to forgive? Why does it upset you that they have a different opinion of you? If that happens, because someone has a different opinion, if that bothers you, if that upsets you, if that makes you angry, first thing you have to realize is, where's love in that? Second thing is, you were probably too trusting. You wanted them to accept you because you gave them power. Their acceptance had of you has power over you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be affected. You you should be absolutely unoffendable, especially by those you love. Now, you married couples out there, you parents out there, you know what I'm talking about. When your children reject you, reject what you your wise counsel. When your wife or your husband rejects you or, or argues against you. It hurts because you put trust in them. And that's going to happen. But you need to put trust in God more. He, this is the whole thing about love your family more than God. Trust your family more than God. You need to trust God more than your family. You need to trust God more than the brothers in your community. You should not trust the brothers in your community in one sense. You should trust in God. You should not be making the decisions as to what you should do based on your trust of your brother. Now, that being said, again, remember, now that doesn't mean you don't listen to what they have to say and weigh that, but what do you weigh it against? God in you. It is no automatic, they're right, 
they say it's so, so it's so. There's no automatic in that. And it is a great temptation to make that an automatic. Because we want to have somebody we can trust in. We want to have brothers that we can trust in. And that that's a natural desire. But we're not talking about natural desire. We're talking about a relationship with God. And ultimately, God trumps all trust in men and women and things and the world. And when you have that kind of trust, you'll walk on water. So we have to check ourselves. And we all fall short. So we always have to be checking ourselves. And as brothers in Christ, we should be able to check one another. Rebuke one another, saying, oh, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't think that's good. I think you better to look at that. And so, we know that love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. But again, what love are we talking about? What kind of love are we talking about? Is it simply compassion? There are many giving people on the network that are, by their nature, they give. And that is a great thing. But again, they must always seek to temper that with the wisdom of God. Giving in itself is not charity. Charity is love. And love sometimes withholdeth what one desires because that is the kinder thing to do. You must decide that on a daily basis. And you must let others decide that on a daily basis, or you will not create a free society. You will eventually create a totalitarian society. We have somebody on one of the groups, uh, everybody uh, is pretty aware of it, it's on the news group, who, who believes that Christ is total fiction. And he's, he's joined his Holy Church <laughs> group, <laughs> networking group, and he believes that Christ is a fiction and the Bible was written by Jews that wanted to control our minds and it is all uh, a lie and 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 he has joined the His Holy Church network. Uh, must have joined it under false pretenses because we spell out the purpose of the network and he has joined for some other purpose and should not be there and the contact ministers on that group should moderate him. They could even kick him off the group if they want, but that's their choice. But they should moderate him because he's poisoning people to think he's the most outspoken person on the group. Why is he allowed to even post to the group this trash and this ridiculousness? I've looked at all these things, these philosophies uh, that have come out in the Pisos and all that stuff, and there's no historical validation of it. As an example, he says, the Indians in America had no judges, no courts, da 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 it goes on and on, and they had a pristine natural environment. Bunk! Where do you get that? That is the absolute ridiculous. And, you know, and he goes on like this is a fact. I mean, go tell Miles Standish that they didn't have a court. <laughs> They're about to crush his head. They had courts, they had judges, they had kings, they had laws, they had treaties, they had rulers. And they did not have a pristine environment. They often had to move camp because it was so filthy after a year or two that they couldn't even stand it themselves. And they had enough room that they could get away with doing that. 
And that's fine. That's the culture they had. I mean, there were great Indians here. And there were some really terrible, despicable, warmongering, murdering, torturing, horrible Indians here. And the same with the whites on that side. There's no, there's no race that has a corner on virtue. And pristine environment, it was so out of control in places there were no game for miles and miles. There wasn't even blades of grass out on the prairies for miles. There were swarms of fleas so great that it was like a cloud over the ground. And these gopher holes that went on for miles and miles, and even the buffalo wouldn't even enter those areas. And the buffalo were often disease-ridden herds with too many... Uh, males constantly fighting. Uh, yeah, there were lots of them. Sure. But pristine. He'd die in most of the areas. It was so unpristine. We're to dress it and keep it. Manage this. That means that, you know, you've got to kill a few buffalo now. <laughs> That's why God made wolves. Thin them guys out. Otherwise, they just become an abomination and destroy the, all the pastures of the world. You know, I mean, people talk about cows killing trees. Buffaloes kill trees. That's their job. Kill trees. They keep the woods open. When they kill trees, they kill every single sucker that comes up. And they stomp them out. They break them up. They chew them off. They don't let trees grow, woods bison. But they keep the woods open so there are little pastures here and there. If you don't, it becomes a wall of trees where nothing can live but squirrels. The deer all die off. The rabbits die off. The butterflies die off. Everything dies off because the trees kill everything out. You have to have open areas. And the Indians would even burn off areas. It certainly wasn't pristine. It wasn't without laws and it wasn't without... Judges, <laughs> I mean, like somebody's living in La La Land, and this is the same way. If you don't think Christ exists, you you haven't got a clue. And what the heck are you doing on on His Holy Church Network site? And why is the contact ministers letting him post to the group? It's not an open forum. It has a specific, specific purpose. We've got other forums for discussion, and you can go all over the net and discuss anything you want. And we're not keeping you from doing that. But you're coming into our parlor. And you can't occupy it with a bunch of lies, goofy religions that you've created about not having religion. Because that's what he's done. And it's not charity to leave him there. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a neglect of your responsibility to, to everybody else that's on that group that are actually seeking the kingdom of God and to be of service to God by loving one another. So anyway, when we talk about charity, I have a thing on the Internet, and I actually we're starting to re-edit it today. It's in PDF. And if you look up charity on our hisholychurch.org. Before I go, there's some announcements. Uh, you know, Every year we have a retreat in September. There's a retreat this year. The main part of the retreat is the last weekend of September, full weekend of September. We will allow people to stay all the way to the next weekend, and some people will still be here. And uh, uh, it's pretty open. We have some things scheduled. Uh, talks are between 9 and noon and uh, between 2 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon. 
and uh, we try to give some time so that people can go down to the lake and do things like that. We sometimes have a sunrise service, in which case talks will begin a little bit later in the morning. So that's basically the schedule. Uh, but we want to have it so that people can have interaction. And we're having these fall these uh, both here and, and uh, one in Missouri. And we'd like to have them in lots of other places uh, because it's a long ways to go. Uh, and we actually have uh, a number of grounds here that we can start to develop so that we can have groups of 1,000 people, 2,000. We can accommodate 10,000 people at a fall festival. But it's going to require you people putting it together. So uh, contact us at His Holy Church and find out uh, where people are in your area. Join the Living Network and start connecting on a, a local basis. And do that because that's part of the charity. You don't come to the network because of what you're going to get out of the network, but because of what you're going to bring to it. But bring to it both compassion and wisdom because you need those in order for charity to be true love. And we, we talk in this statement on charity, uh, in preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven and the propagation of his doctrines and teachings is both a duty to Christ and a charitable act to the congregations of the people who may be seeking Christ. And that's very important to realize that that is the, one of the primary, uh, directives of God for his church is to preach the gospel of the kingdom tell people how it works but it is also to facilitate the purposes of that kingdom of learning what it is to be a society ruled by God not by other men and this is what I've been talking about from the beginning to the end is that charity is an individual choice when you do your minister, you give to him, and now it's his choice. You have given him power over that which you have given away. And you had every power to choose whether you could give it or not in the kingdom. In the world, once you elect a leader, he can force your contribution. He can take more and more and more and more. He can make his instruments of war. He can take your sons and daughters. He can take the first fruits of your labor. That's the other government. Those are the elements of the world. The elements of the kingdom is it's your choice. And we have to guard ourselves that we do not try to apply an emotional gun to the head of our fellow congregational members and members of the body of Christ saying, Why didn't you give? Why didn't you give to the, This was a good cause and I mentioned it and you didn't give. Now, I, I used that tone. Most people don't use that tone, but I use that tone to express the spirit. We have to guard against that. We don't judge others because they choose not to give. And we must guard ourselves that when we choose to give, that it's Christ telling us and not simply our emotional heartstrings. Now, usually women have that problem more than men, but it's not exclusively a woman problem. Men will have that problem too. The sympathy comes out. It's an instinct. But we don't give by instinct. We give by the grace of God, by that relationship of God. And that is tampering our compassion with his wisdom. And his wisdom clearly withholds his blessings at times so that people will learn where those blessings come from or whatever his reason. I don't want to second guess God. 
So beyond that, this idea of preaching the gospel, there is this mission to heal the sick. This idea of healing the sick, a sick person is someone who is not whole. Uh, this uh, is a charitable act of healing the sick. Includes all the aspects aspects of making and assisting people in becoming whole. In other words, to getting to that point where you can make that choice to give or not give. That's one choice we have to make. Based not merely upon our enslavement to our instinct to be compassionate. But on our relationship with God to be wise and compassionate. To give a charity that strengthens the poor. Uh, do we have... Am I supposed to be looking at uh, little messages coming to me? <laughs> Probably. There's uh, a call. Is there somebody coming on? Somebody's coming on? A caller's coming on? There's a caller on. Hello. Caller, did you have a question? Brother Gregory, this is Brother Denny in Arkansas. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you. It's a little breaking up, but give it give it a shot. Okay. Um, the, I have something that, that fits so perfectly, I think, with what you're sharing here that maybe will help to give people word pictures. And that is, um, I mentioned to you before, I'm sorry I haven't had a chance to send it to you, my computer's broken, but a, a study that someone asked me to do on the word love in Leviticus 19.18, and I took it back to the Paleo-Hebrew because, you know, you've mentioned a number of times how the Pharisees have reinterpreted things and various things like that, and I wanted to see what the word picture was in the Paleo Hebrew, and it's five letters, not just a three letter root word, but there's five letters there. It's Vav, Aleph, Hey, Bake, and Tav. And looking at that, the first letter Vav is represented as a nail or a peg. It's most often translated and, and it has the meaning of to add or to secure. And the second letter, Aleph, is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's represented as the head of an ox or a bull. It has the meanings of strength, leader, or burst. Looking at this letter more closely, we can see that the strength of an ox is in its power to serve by pulling a plow or a cart loaded with goods or people. It leads by pulling the cart or plow, that ox also has horns, which represent authority. But when we're familiar with the Torah, we understand that if those horns were used to push or harm rather than to protect, that ox was shut up. Or if it gored another ox, it was sold. Or if it gored a person, it was known to have had a habit. It was the death penalty for not just the ox, but the owner. And that really helps us to clarify what type of leadership was intended for the kingdom of God. And, the and you're saying that's in Leviticus. Uh, was that in Leviticus 19, 18? 
Yes. You're talking about the, the word love there? That's right. L- looking uh-huh. at the, at the he- looking at the the letters, the individual letters and the meanings of the individual letters and the the meanings associated with the, that pictograph that's in the Paleo Hebrew. Okay. The, okay. The third well, thank you for that. Or is there another part? Yeah, there, there's a little bit more. Yeah. Um, it'll be brief. The third letter is hey, which is represented as a window or shutters, as commonly translated as the, or has the meaning of to reveal or behold. The fourth letter is bake, and is represented by a house or a tent that has the meanings of household or in or into or family. And the final letter is Tav, and it's the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and it's properly represented as the path between the halves of the Abrahamic covenant, and it has the meaning of to seal, to covenant, or sign. And when we put all of these together, it makes clear that that word love there in Hebrew, in Leviticus 19.18, means to add or secure strength and protective servant leadership to reveal it to behold the family or household as a sign of or sealed by the covenant and it just it makes a clear picture of what is meant by love there in the Hebrew in Leviticus 19.18 when it says to love your neighbor as yourself and right. it, it just it created such a beautiful picture to me of what is meant by that that I thought it would be a blessing to others as well. Right. Yeah, the uh, yeah, root word is uh, be it uh, hey, elef be it, elef hey be it is actually what the root uh, word is to some degree, or you can reverse that to be it, hey, Elif, which Elif being man and relationship with God, and uh, be it having to do with household, and hey, having to do with an emphasis of being the household of God. So there's lots of different ways in these conceptual languages which you can look at that. Then they added two extra letters in order to express it. Uh, additional ideas hanging on that root word, but anyway, we're we're having a little trouble with the computer. There's a lag between you and the uh, broadcast, so uh, I tell you what, we'll uh, we'll let you go. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, we'll have a little speedier connection next time. Sounds <laughs> well, good. Thanks hey, for calling, Gregor. So. Uh, yeah, the, there are a number of words that would, could be translated charity in uh, the Old Testament, but they simply didn't put it. <laughs> uh, but uh, like I said, the word charity that we see most often used by Paul uh, is a word that actually, when Christ used it, they translated love. So uh, because we only have a little bit more than a half hour left of the show, 
uh, we'll try to get to some of these things because there's some aspects here that I think that are overlapping. Uh, but this whole idea of love uh, includes this concept of forgiveness as well. You can't be for, uh, offended if you forgive. You're not to forgive a week later or two weeks later or two days later or two minutes later. If you are walking in forgiveness, you can never be offended. You never have to go to that place where you're angry and then you forgive. You never go to the angry place. It never, you never get there. You're, you know, they slap you across the face, you know, which I see people getting angry and they don't even get slapped. They they just construe. It's like uh, like your wife has a dream that you did something bad and she wakes up mad at you. I didn't do it. It's your dream. <laughs> so, <laughs> and my wife had a, a joke. We joke about that once. That happened once where she had a dream and I did something bad in the dream. And I said, I'm not in trouble now for what you're dreaming. <laughs> and we laughed about it. But... Uh, the uh, the reality is, is that people imagine that someone means ill intent by something they say, and they're more concerned about the fact that the person may be offensive or didn't say it the way they would say it, than really striving to find out what is where is their heart really at, and if they are straying from the ways of God, is there something I could say that would help bring them back to the path? It's all about service. It's not about dominance. The world elements is about dominance. You see it my way. You say it my way. You do it my way. In our kingdom, we do it his way. And everything is filtered to our trust in him. And not really to our trust in one another. But to our trust in one another... Uh, or excuse me, to our trust in Him, we actually will trust in one another when our brothers are trusting in Him. What makes the apostles brothers is the common Father. Not because they came into accord with each other, but because they came into accord with the Father. And that's where we have to go as well. There are several precepts to biblical charity. Charity must be in accordance with God's will and His Son's way. And we know that Christ did not tell everybody everything. He did not heal everybody all the time. Now, those that came to Him who had faith, he, they were healed. And He said very clearly, time and time again, your faith has healed you. If you didn't have faith, you weren't healed. There were people jostling all about him at that time by the well at Beth, uh, Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda. Uh, he was, uh, was surrounded, according to the biblical text, by people who had maladies, who wanted to get into the water as soon as it stirred because they would be healed. One man had been there for a long time, and every time he tried to go, somebody pushed in front of him. And Christ said, rise and walk. Now, there were all kinds of people there with maladies, but it was only the one who Christ talked to that we see getting healed. So what happened to all the others? They were still waiting by the pool. And many of us are waiting by the pool instead of having faith in Christ. And so that's that's really important that our charity should manifest that same exclusiveness. We should be helping out men who reach out in faith. Ultimately, though, that's not a rule. The rule is to do what Christ tells you to do. 
But it's up to you to figure out, is this my emotions, is this my compassion, or is this Christ? So charity must be in, in accordance with the will of God, because God may not want you to heal somebody yet. He may not want you to help somebody yet. He may want you to wait. But your compassion says, but I can't. I have to help them. And if this is a part of your character, and I've seen young girls spoil horses and uh, dogs and what have you, and so that they become useless and they can't, they can't hurt sheep. They can't, uh, they, they're not trustworthy animals because they spoiled it and spoiled it and spoiled it. Because they have this natural compassion, but they need to learn to temper that with wisdom. And so there are three more aspects that we'll cover in the second and last half hour of the show. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you. Let our motto be, Don't Tread on Me. LibertyRadioLive.com The Greatest Prophecy DVD of Cross the Border Productions. Embrace the little-known but greatest prophecy given by the Great High Priest. The pre-incarnate Messiah reveals God's once secret plan for mankind. Believe it. Behold, the end times in Daniel chapter 2, because the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. It is the key to prophecy future. Comprehend the seven-year great tribulation deception. Be not deceived. Understand the great prophecy delusion, because if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Be forewarned. America, in prophecy, exposed for all to see. The mark of the beast, no, it's not a biochip. A much better and more secure technology is already here, and you are already using it. Two copies, one for you and one for you to give away when you send a support donation of $25 to First Amendment Radio. Use the chip-in event on our website or send $25 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, California, 93274. Make copies and give them away. Send $25 cash for two copies of The Greatest Prophecy DVD. That's First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. A wise man is forewarned and prepares for the time to come. The Greatest Prophecy DVD. Now listen to me. The Bible says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Yeah. Government takeover of the church 
This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD, Government Takeover of the Church. Who will tell them if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Now listen to me. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're going to talk about this charity thing a little bit more here to try to sum it up. In the document that you can find on our net uh, at hisholychurch.org, I know it's in a number of different places. Uh, it's a statement on charity. If you look for that in the search engine, you'll probably find it. It's I know it's on at least in PDF format. Uh and I can't get to the whole document, but there's a basic outline at the beginning that talks about preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven uh, and the propagation of Christ's doctrines. That is a command that was given to us. That's one of the commandments of the king uh, to his appointed church. And that's what they should be doing. Unfortunately, most preachers are not preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're preaching the gospel of churchanity. And they have, because of that, and a number of other things, they have delivered everybody back into the bondage of Egypt because they haven't been teaching the doctrines of Christ who said to obey the commandments, which includes not coveting your neighbor's goods and not making contracts and covenants, not praying to uh, Caesars and Pharaohs and Nimrods of the world, but living by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. So that's that's an element of charity. The men who step out, spend their lives doing that, risking everything today because it's a dangerous job today. <laughs> uh, that's a tremendous amount of charity, and it may not involve much money uh, of their own because they have to be supported by others in doing that, or they just simply cannot do it well. Uh, we've been doing it for years and years, but mostly we do it in our spare time, or we work in our spare time so that we can do it as much of our time as we can. So that's an important aspect of the charity of Christ. Christ came here for that purpose, and he appointed his church for that purpose. But in order to fill that, fulfill that purpose, it's not just about talking, it's about doing, and that means actually taking care of the needs of the people. Social welfare system of the world is very effective, except for the fact that it makes the Word of God an effect, and to some degree, that is why it was created, is to make the Word of God an effect, weaken the people, and make them fit subjects for the first power that Satan puts in place, which has been around for uh, hundreds of years. We've been under the power of Satan because we are doing the opposite of what Christ says and we are not a Christian nation here or in Australia or in England or in China or any of these places because they all force their neighbors to contribute to their welfare, which is anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-Abraham, and anti-Moses. And pro-Nimrod, uh, Pharaoh, Caesar, and the rest of the totalitarian 
uh, rulers of the world. And so that's why you're in bondage. So if you want out of bondage, you need to change your ways. And that's why Christ said to do it. And that's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So if that isn't a full circle, I don't know what is. So done with that rabbit trail. Now let's go on to the second element that we discuss in that paper. Charity must be in accordance with God's will and his son's ways. So, therefore, you do not just give to everybody because they have need. You give to everybody who has need, who has faith. And they, how do you know they have faith? Because they have actually taken a step in the direction of God. Now, that doesn't mean you don't help out the guy beat up in the ditch. You certainly can. And it doesn't mean that even the guy who's drunken in the ditch by his own accord, that you don't help him out, too. You have to do it according to God's will. And you need to know what that is. I cannot dictate to you what God's will is. You need to be still and know the will of God and do it according to His will. And as you're doing that, I may come across you and say, Hey, did you consider this? Did you consider that? Because God has put it on me to give you that information, to ask you that question. And you need to have the patience to hear that question and question yourself. And question your own motivation. In other words, how do you do that? Intellectually? No. You go back to that still place and say, God, uh, he asked this, uh, should I consider this? And if God says, no, that's okay, just do it, then you just do it. If God says, yes, consider it, then you consider it. How do you know that it's God? Well, that's the process that you're here for, to learn to listen to God. We know you've learned to not listen to God. That's why you're in the mess you're in. <laughs> now you get the opportunity of listening to God. And you listen to men and weigh them against what God tells you about those men. You do not obey the men. You do not compel the men. You do it according to the will of God. The, otherwise, it's not the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of men. Whether they rule over you with a gun or with your emotions or with their... Uh, manipulation, psychological manipulations or rational uh, eschatologies that's still ruling you to be still and know the will of God and do it according to your own conscience and if you're wrong it will find you out but if you're sincere God will send a messenger and help reveal where your error is and that messenger may come from anyone. It may be me. It may be a hooker on the corner. It may be a publican. It may be almost anybody. It may become suddenly a messenger, an ass in the road. It may become a messenger of God. You have to be listening. And if you're sincere, he will send you messengers. And if you listen to them, he will send you more. And if you listen and listen, you will just know in your heart. But occasionally we have these obstacles and God will send people to help us remove those obstacles so that we can actually do it according to his will. And one of those obstacles is our compassion. And one of those obstacles is our intellect. One of those obstacles is our pride. One of those obstacles is our arrogance, which is back to pride again. We have lots of stumbling stones on the path. And God will send people and situations to help us remove those obstacles from the path. If we are sincere. And if we heed the help that he does send us, he'll send us more. 
if we reject the help that he sends us, if we waste the help that he sends us, like the talent, the guy who did nothing, then he gets nothing. That should apply to us. If he does nothing, should we give to him? No. If he doesn't work, he doesn't need. Same principle. But how you apply that is not a matter of rules that you write down and take notes on. It's about the application of God's will in your heart. But those rules can help you take a look, take a second look. Are you doing God's will or your own? Charity must help to strengthen those in need. In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. That was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Charity should always be strengthening. Well, of course, if a guy's not unconscious and bleeding in the ditch, uh, the first thing to do is heal his body. Get him conscious again. Get him so that he can walk again. Get the bones mended back. Sure. But you, if... If he's drunk in the ditch, sober him up. But if he goes back and gets drunk again, well, you can choose that the second time is different. You can choose, do I help him out this Maybe I should let him lay there for a while. Go help somebody else. I'll come back and check on, make sure he didn't freeze to death. But, you know, it's an individual call. We should not impose our call on others. And... Those calls should learn to be locally. Charity must be voluntarily and freely given. Now, this somewhat overlaps what I've been talking about. You choose. You can't choose for me. I can't choose for you. You know, people can't choose for each other. You can ask. You can implore. You can inform. But... You have to leave that choice to them. And if they choose not to, all they're doing is exercising their right to choose. And you need to let them have that right. And you need not to abandon them because they didn't choose the way you chose. These are really subtle things. But those little tips of that iceberg that creep into our thinking will open a wide door to tyranny. Tyrants... Don't rule over you. Not single tyrants. It's a million tyrants who serve the tyranny in the heart of men that rules over you. You know, the, the bankers of the world, you know, the, the, the Rothschilds and the uh, Rockefellers and all these guys, they're not the problem. It's all these people out here. They're the problem. Those, those guys... The Federal Reserve's not the problem. Now, I write about the Federal Reserve, express how bad it is, and it's a terrible concept, and how it's led us down a terrible, wrong path. But it's not the problem. It's a path. It's the fact that we have chosen to walk that path. We never had to go that way just because they invented it. Every single church in the country should have said, don't accept Federal Reserve notes at the bank. They would have all just sat at the bank, and nobody would have touched them. Because most people were Christians back then. And those that did use them, they would be on earth. You wouldn't be using them. But they used them because the preachers weren't preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Christ came to fulfill the law. And the law includes it to have just weights and measures. And Federal Reserve notes are not a just weight and measure. They're debt notes. And you should have never touched them. 
She never picked up a single one. But that's after the fact. Now what do we do? The problem is us. We need to get back to this. Charity must be voluntary. And you must choose. And you must choose to come together with other people who choose the right way. Not people who go off in la-la land with eschatologies or hate of religion or hate of the bankers or hate of the Zionists or hate of the Masons. And charity must be unconditionally released. When you give it, it's given. Now, you can give a loan and expect to be paid back. But that loan must be without interest. And the charity is in the lack of interest. The charity is in the lack of interest. here's, Here's 800 bucks. I'd like it returned when you can afford to give it back. But I, the charity isn't the 800 bucks. The charity is the interest. You don't charge them interest. You give them a week to pay it back, a year to pay it back, ten years to pay I had a guy who moved his house once for me. I mean, he was desperate. They were going to tear it down. And uh, he bought it. And he had the right to move to this other lot, but he had to get it moved real quick. And, I mean, we had almost no time whatsoever. <laughs> to move his house and he, he didn't have any of the stuff he needed and we jacked it all up and I I turned down every suggestion he had but I had a way of doing it and we got it moved but he didn't pay for all the work I did just, I mean, worked night and day and week uh, to get that house moved and I mean, we got it moved within minutes to when it had to be done but uh, uh, he didn't pay me months 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 year Going into the second year, still didn't pay me. Eventually, he paid me. No interest. The charity was in the no interest. I always expected them to pay me back. I didn't. I didn't have the kind of money to just give away that kind of labor to a guy. I gave him a real good deal on it. There's charity in that. But what I give away, I give freely. And what I don't give away, I don't give away. And you have to give me the right to make that choice and not judge me for it because God may be telling me, don't give to them. I want you to give to these guys later and this is all I'm giving. You don't know where I give. I don't know where you give. I don't need to know where you give. You can tell me and that may be good that I know that. And you may uh, let me know that somebody needs help. That's good. That's information. I need that information in order to preach the gospel of the kingdom. But you have to let people make these choices and walk these walks and stop requiring them to say it in the way that you would say it. And start listening to their heart. Start reaching out and trying to get to know that individual and recognize their good qualities and their bad qualities and pray for their bad qualities to go away or good qualities to be strengthened. And this is why charity must strengthen those in need. All those in need. It's not bad that we get a little hungry now and then, or other people get a little hungry. It may build character that they go without. You know, I know a guy in Phoenix, Arizona. You know, 90, 106 in the shade. He, suddenly he didn't have any work to do. 
and he needed a job. He didn't live in Phoenix anymore. He was up here in Oregon uh, looking for another job. He relocated in the Arctic Circle <laughs> so that he would have a job. He wasn't picky. He got to work and got his job. Guys just say, oh, I only want a certain kind of job. What is that? Do we have that kind of choice? Yeah. I only want to have certain kinds of jobs, but i got to take what jobs I have to take. And if I won't, then I am being selfish. And no one should feed that selfishness in me. They should not encourage that selfishness by taking away the sting of my, my selfishness. If we are selfish, if we are lazy, if we are uh, not willing to roll up our sleeves and do what needs to be done, and we are willing to become a burden on others because we are not willing to roll up our sleeves and do what needs to be done, then maybe when God brings a sting to our sloth, we should feel it. And those who take away the sting of our sloth are not doing the will of God. Because God wants us to feel that sting. He wants us to suffer so that we awaken. Like the baby crying in the crib. The mother wants to pick it up. But spoils the child. The studies went on, I talked about this earlier, the studies went on to show that children who were picked up every time they fussed didn't do well in school later on <laughs> they didn't do well in life they were spoiled they wanted to be catered to they wanted they only wanted it their way and they were used to being it their way because they fussed and their mothers taught them that because their mother's compassion was not tempered with the wisdom of God and it's a hard thing to do. It's hard for a mother not to pick up that crying baby. But sometimes you have to let it fuss a little bit and cry itself to sleep so that it learns that it cannot have its way. I remember a boy was whining. There's nothing to do to his mother. And he was, he was, he was a terrible whiner. His mother had spoiled him. But now he's like five or seven or something. He was whining to his mother. And his mother just finally put her head down and said, You're just going to have to suffer. She couldn't, she couldn't wait on him anymore and entertain him. She wasn't there just to entertain him and comfort him. And that is a danger of, of being a slave to your own emotions. We need to be slaves of Christ so that we will become friends of Christ and sons of our Father and brothers to Christ. And that means that our charity must always be tempered not only with compassion, but with wisdom. Not only by our own choice, but allowing that choice for others. If it is not, does not have these elements, if it brings with it the elements of the world, it's not the love of God that gives life. It's the love of the world which brings death and destruction. And a little, a little bit of the elements of the world can go a long way opening the doors to wickedness in our life. It will divide us. It will separate us. And there is no love in that. 
We've seen many people come on the network, and some never intended to be here. And some thought they came and they would get the emotional support that they've always looked for and didn't have because they had nothing but failed relationships in their life. And they wanted that unconditional emotional support. God's love is not unconditional. God's love is very conditional because God's love know, God knows that if love is unconditional, it will weaken you. Because you were naturally fallen creatures and selfish. And you will want many things. And some of those things will not be good things for you to have. God's punishment is not punishment. It is reward. It is a blessing so that you feel the sting of your error. So that you waken up to the fact that you are in error. So that you choose not to be in error anymore. And if we take away that sting and lull people back into sleep with our charity, we are not doing the will of God. We have become a part of the plan of the enemies of God. Maybe that's not what we intended, but that is why we must always temper charity which is love with all the wisdom of God and the ways of God or our charity is not his charity so anyway I hope this has been a help to some of you I'm sure it has been to a few of you uh, remember me O Lord with the favor that thou Bearest unto thy people, O visit me with thy salvation. I'll read you a few more uh, psalms for his anger endureth, but a moment in his favor is life. His anger. God isn't really angry like we think of. When we use these terms, anger, we think of, oh, God is an angry God, a jealous God, an envious God. And in a way, that's true. But if you apply your view of these concepts, God is infinitely just, infinitely merciful. Uh, I I really need to work a great deal more on uh, uh, altars of blood so that people begin to uh, ha- or have the opportunity of rethinking and re-looking at the Old Testament. Uh, recently, the, the fellow in New York who is, believes that Christ is a fiction quoted on uh, one of their pages uh, a psalms. Uh, and uh, I went and looked at the original Hebrew and I can see where the error is in the translation. And you could translate it the way they translated it, but you had to understand that one of the words is a metaphor and is not an actual word. And we can show you that because the word's not really... Tra- that is not the normal word that's translated into that. And it has to do with dashing the heads uh, against the wall, I think it was, or something, of children. Uh, the word children there is not the normal word for children. It's actually the root word is the word wicked. And then... Is this a literal dashing the heads of the wicked against the wall? 
or is it like the stoning that was in the Old Testament? We don't understand what that is. Because we don't understand what the stones were in the Old Testament. Because we think they're actually dead rocks and the stones are actually living men. Living men who have been preaching the gospel of the kingdom for thousands of years. And other men have come in with damnable heresies and twisted our understanding of the sacred words to the point to justify their own wickedness. And that's where we're at today. I think... uh, Baldwin had an article. I didn't get to read the whole thing, but I got a little glimpse of part of it when he was talking about the warmongers of modern Christendom. And the reality is, is this is what's coming, is that we're becoming more and more like the Pharisees. And the same destruction that befell the Pharisees are going to follow the modern church because the modern church has abandoned Christ for these damnable heresies that water down the gospel so it's no longer the gospel of the kingdom. And they are no longer teaching the elements of God's kingdom, but the elements of the world. And it's telling us that the elements of the world are the elements of God's kingdom. And we actually believe that. And we are actually serving false gods, other gods, and gone completely back into the bondage, not only of Egypt, the bondage of Babylon. And if you want to escape that, you need to understand what the love of God really is. And you need to strive daily is to make that love of God real in your life. Gather together. Form your congregation. Struggle. And work out your salvation with your Until then, may peace be upon your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.